Welcome into Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw here, and we have an awesome guest for you guys today. We have CP, the franchise of Knicks Fan TV, here with us today of YouTube fame. And Gavin, we have some, I won't say great stuff to discuss. Normally that's my go-to, but some things to discuss in regards to Julius Randle and some things that have popped up this week with him. Yeah, we talked, is the Julius Randle situation ultimately salvageable? Is there a world where he can stay on the team next year? Or has the combination of his play and his conduct just become too detrimental to allow that to happen? All that next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Welcome into Locked On Knicks. We did want to thank you guys for making Locked On Knicks your first listen every day, whether it's on your favorite podcast platform or on YouTube. We appreciate you making us a part of your day every day. I'm Alex Wolf. I'm editor-in-chief of Knicks site, The Strickland, which you can find at thestrick.land. He is Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster. And this, of course, is Locked On Knicks. We are joined, as I said in the intro, by CP, the franchise of... Knicks Fan TV, you might know him on Twitter as at CP the Franchise or just at Knicks Fan TV. And of course, he runs probably the most fun call in show specifically related to the Knicks uh, in the universe, mostly because he was like the pioneer to make the online call in show about the Knicks, Knicks Fan TV on YouTube. So if you've never checked that out, definitely check that out. But I won't hold this back any further. We're going to talk about the Julius Randle situation and everything that has transpired this week. And some things that might start transpiring as soon as this offseason. All right. As promised, we are joined by CP, the franchise from Knicks Fan TV on YouTube. So if you're joining us on YouTube and have somehow not heard of Knicks Fan TV yet, <laughs> definitely go check that out. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at CP, the franchise or at Knicks Fan TV. CP, how you doing, man? How is this? Uh, are you are you enjoying as much as us that the fact that this season is winding down and then it's Abs- Absolutely, <laughs> fellas. Absolutely, man. <laughs> After the roller coaster season that that was last year, you know, and and the expectations just heightened and everything that's gone on this year, you know, uh, we are officially eliminated from the playoffs as uh, as of this recording. So uh, I am looking forward to to wrapping this one up and heading into the off season for sure. For sure. And one of the biggest questions, which we're going to address exclusively on this pod, uh, mm-hmm. which you have an intimate, uh, <laughs> you had some intimate run-ins with the, the Julius <laughs> Randall situation yourself, uh, <laughs> thanks to some Twitter interactions, yeah. which I won't bring up unless you feel like bringing them up. But yeah. um, basically, you know, there's been reports coming out that he's asking for a trade. Or is, you know, at least fed up with his time in New York. 
those reports came out after the Chicago game, which ironically was a win for the Knicks, but a game when Julius played terrible. Uh, but we're sort of in this weird crossroads where it's like, does he want to be here? Does he not want to be here? Does he want to try? Does he not want to try? Is he invested? Is he not? I mean, I guess the best way to start CP is like, is this Julius situation salvageable to you? I, I think it can be, but I don't think it will be. Mm-hmm. And I think, look, it's been a trying year for him, obviously, you know, um, coming off of last year, you know, dominating the way he did, really carrying the team, you know, up until the D Rose trade. And then I think they both had a hand in really resurrecting this franchise, man, and getting us to to where we were last year. But I think uh, the fallout from the Hawks series, you could tell, you know, I tell people all the time, I was there the first four games watching him very intently and the guy just looked like a fish out of water you know you could tell he was cooked and i thought the pressure was really and and this was when the fans first came back and i just thought you know i thought number one mcmillan's game plan was great and we couldn't adjust you know Tibbs wasn't adjusting but julius was really really under under pressure in that game and you know he he goes into the offseason he gets the max contract and I thought this year the expectations for this team were going to be immense. We wanted to see this team pick up where they left off. Uh, we, we hoped that the, the new additions would help. And everything that uh, could go wrong went wrong, from the injuries to the ineffective play to, you know, you name it. So I think this was a trying year for him. And the thumbs down situation, I, I thought that hurt him. And I'm not sure if he can come back from that because there's one thing that we can confirm. You know, a lot of people would speculate, like, is he, is he jealous of RJ? Is he jealous of OB? I don't know that to be true. And we don't, we don't know that to be true. But one thing we do know is that his relationship with the fans has had an immense impact on him. He just came out in the media and admitted it uh, after the, the Hornets game about, you know, how much it's weighing on him and his family, as you guys alluded to earlier. The wife came at me <laughs> as uh, the face of all toxic Knicks fans or, or, or you know, the, the leader of all toxic Knicks fans. And, and we had our, our exchange. And so I know that he he is a guy that that buys into social media. I, I think he, he reads a lot of that. I know for a fact he's a burner account type of guy. So I think all of that is has weighed on him. And so it's been tough. But I also think from an organizational standpoint, since he's been here, these three years, we've yet to put a, a, a balanced and, and cohesive roster, not around him, but but with him as a, as a piece in the starting lineup. It's it's a weird thing, right? Because we've seen at points this year that he knows how to play the right way, even even when RJ is functioning as, as more of an alpha dog and as a bigger part of the offense, like the yeah. seven game stretch before the All Star break when he was just ridiculous. It wasn't because his shot just magically came back and he was the guy that we saw last year it was because he was crashing hard to the rim and playing with pace and playing unselfishly and and saying all right it's okay if I'm not like dribbling there out of the basketball like I can score really easily as a roller and leverage the fact that Evan Fournier is one of the best three-point shooters in the league leverage the fact that RJ is more of a threat now and to me that's I think that's sort of what's torturing all of us, right? Because if like the guy had no talent, like we wouldn't be doing full episodes on him. We'd just right. be saying, all right, sayonara. Like we'll, we'll, we'll see you. Like no big deal. But it's tough because there's like this brilliant guy in there, not just as a scorer, as like a, as a passer. Like I think we saw last year at points, there's a really good defender in there. And it's this like painful thing because it's like, all right, like you're smart enough to know how to play the right way. 
like he showed all last season, like he has the heart to play like that and put that kind of effort and energy in on a night to night basis. But it seems yeah. like he's almost his own worst enemy to some extent where like we saw it in that Bulls game where he was just like shooting himself in the foot. And I thought last night was weird because it was like there were stretches where he's trying to play the right way, stretches where he was just like totally clogging things up, looking off wide open shooters and, and yeah. just forcing up bad shots. So CPM, I'm, I'm curious where you are with that because I think I'm at the point where I'm like, all right, it's like the definition of insanity to try this again. Like clearly that dude is in there, but we haven't seen yeah. – a whole lot of evidence that he's going to come out consistently when he's not the clear cut number one guy. It's frustrating, man. As you said, it, it, his commitment on both ends of the floor has been so up and down this season. You no, know, last year he was great. You know, he was fantastic, man. Assist to usage ratio, top of the league. I mean, making his, his, his teammates better in every sense of the word, you know, leading on the defensive end, hustling on the defensive end. And then this year you watching the tape and it's just like, he is the Matador, Matador D, as Clyde would say, man. And a lot of the times his energy, his lack of hustle uh, would bring down the team. So it's very frustrating. But as you said, there's still a talent there. And I'm just a little bit leery in, um, you know, selling low on, on this type of talent. Yes, some people may look at it as, as addition by subtraction, but I'm just a little bit leery. And, and, the, and back to Alex's question saying, could it be salvageable? I think it could if we, A, put the talent in that lineup with him that can play with him, play off of him. And is, the, is this the right coach that, A, has the system that will allow Julius Randle to be a better player? Because I think, yes, he, he can be the, that shot creator. He can be that playmaker. But I think a lot of the times the offense is just way too much, you know, Randall isolation. Like, he's not Carmelo, man. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's, he's not Carmelo. Where is the offense and the playmaker that can make him better, that can, that can make him a finisher rather than a primary creator? And then the last thing I'll say in, in regards to Tibbs is, is he the coach that's going to hold this guy accountable for the mistakes you know, is he going to make him a better player, not just through his play and X's and O's, but, you know, the cerebral, the mental aspects of the game. And remember, you know, a lot of people thought that Tibbs was ousted from Minnesota uh, based on the Jimmy Butler fallout and not handling that well. So I think this could be a similar situation here. We heard earlier this season that, you know, the accountability thing was an issue in the locker room. Can Thibodeau really kind of rein him in and, and, you know, Bring him back into the fold here. I think it's left to be seen. All right. We're going to be back with CP continuing our conversation on Julius Randle and just the implications of his recent conduct and his recent play. But first, I want to tell you all about Bet Online. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your sports betting needs and sports info. You can find all the latest sports development, including this week's Masters Championships odds, podcasts, and reviews for all the different leagues this season. Alex, some people might be betting the Masters. I don't know that much about golf, so I think I'm going to be betting college basketball. And I let everyone write, uh, telling you to take Arkansas uh, over Gonzaga last week. This week, I am again leading you right, telling you to take Duke over North Carolina. Duke is rolling. They're playing better than anyone in the tournament. They just have quite a bit more talent than North Carolina. I know Carolina got the win in Coach K's final game. I think there was some, there was some craziness going on there. There was some weird emotional stuff. I, I like Duke a whole lot in that game uh, with a as a four-point favorite. But Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Bet Online, where the game starts. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's so many variables to if this situation will work out right. Because you say, like, 
are they putting the right players around him to make him a success? And it's like, well, what is Julius view as a successful version of himself? You know what I mean? Like, does he view that as the person last year who, you know, as you said, had a really good assist to usage ratio and all that, but also had a really high usage percentage. And like mm. most nights, I mean, he was the offense, yeah, but that's right. That's right. I, I think that anyone with eyeballs and him, the one actually shooting the ball should realize like he was probably the biggest, the biggest, like, you know, example of empty gym syndrome, you know, like, he shot great in an empty gym last year. And we saw as soon as the playoffs came around and even right before that, when fans started coming back a little bit that, you know, for, for whatever reason, I mean, part of it was the the great scheming by Nate McMillan against him in the playoffs. But once the fans came back, he was not shooting as well. And this was something that we saw in the bubble too. So it wasn't like it was a, a new phenomenon. Like there was, there was basically a year and a half where, players shot way better than normal yeah and now everything sort of came back to earth in some ways for some guys and in lesser ways for others but pretty much everybody was shooting worse now but randall is shooting like demonstrably worse yeah. uh so does he still think that he has a you know like 45 percent from the field 40 percent from three 80 percent from the line in him if he does i i, I don't know if it's ever going to work. You know what I mean? Because right. I think that he still views himself as this guy that can be like, to use like a, a very, I always feel like this is like a very like smarmy basketball term, but like a heliocentric guy, you know what I mean? Like, does he think that he could be like Giannis that you just basically right. run the entire team through or LeBron, you know, that's like, he's your only dude, you know? And like, he's going out there and he's generating shots. If not for himself, then he's, he's the only one setting the table basically for the whole team. Uh, or even, you know, that was like sort of like how OKC used to play through Westbrook, for example, you know? Yeah. And I just I don't think that that style is conducive to winning basketball, especially yeah, yeah. in today's NBA. Like there are so few teams that are run through one guy with no other options that can like handle the ball and do stuff in today's NBA. That was like en vogue, like 2013, 14, 15, that sort of thing. And even then, a lot of the offenses that ran that way still sputtered in the playoffs and would end up losing. Um, and it, you know, it wasn't until teams like Milwaukee, for example, last year, mm-hmm. you know, built their roster out to have more creators, you know, like adding a Drew Holiday on top of Middleton and Giannis. Then all of a sudden, now you can stump teams more and you have guys that can create more. So I think that's kind of where I'm at with Julius. It's just like, I agree, it could be salvageable. I think that he could potentially, um, you know, end up. Uh, back sort of in like a middle ground. I, I don't think he would ever meet the the lofty shooting percentages that he set during, you know, 2021. But I think that if he embraced getting to the rim more and doing the things that he's done well this year, that he could find himself in a position where he could get like his overall field goal percentage up a bit and get his free throw attempts up and stuff like that and make himself a good score that way, even if he's only shooting like 30, 32, 33% from three. Um, as long as he was willing to make those adjustments, but it seems like this year his worst habits are just sort of settling back into 2021 Julius without 2021 Julius's, you know, ability and, and, you know, empty gym shooting bump. And then he gets frustrated because he's not making shots that spills over into his defense. That spills over into his attitude that spills over into everything else. And then all of a sudden he's, it's like the bulls game where he, he had a bad game. The rest of his teammates had good games and they won the game. And yet he still was angry and allegedly 
ask for a trade after the game. Yeah. You know, it's just, I don't know how to, how to do that, but I want to, I want to quickly zero in on something else you said too, which is not wanting to potentially sell low on him and then have him work out better somewhere else. And like, I'm sort of, I go back and forth on that and maybe I'll ask you to expand on that in just a second Mm -hmm. here. But like, part of me is like that because you never want to end up on the losing end of a trade like that. Right. Like you never want to trade a guy away when he's at his lowest and then have him go find a new gear. It would be like, it actually would remind me quite a bit of like Zach Randolph, for example, like the the Knicks acquired him. He was a good player when they got him from the Blazers. He put up okay numbers and stuff here, but clearly wasn't contributing to winning and wasn't having his best seasons in New York. And then they trade him to the Grizzlies and he becomes literally like a franchise legend with the Grizzlies alongside Marcus all and, you know, closes out his career as like, you know, a, a borderline hall of fame player. Um, so I guess like I go back and forth cause part of me fears that sort of situation, but the other part of me basically looks at it. Like, does it matter? You know, like, could you just trade him for basically nothing and just embrace like starting Obi Toppin. Maybe that then shifts your priorities to drafting a power forward, you know, to back up Obi Toppin then, you know, and come off the bench in the role that Obi's in right now using your your one draft pick this year. And would that just sort of be a classic case of addition by subtraction? Like, where are you on that right now, CP, as yeah. far as like, because we're obviously going to talk about some potential trades in a minute mm-hmm. for if the Knicks do decide to move Julius and if we think these would be good deals to look at or whatever, but. Where do you stand on the the idea of sort of addition by subtraction with him right now? Um, I, I think it's a great case to be made, right? I mean, you you see how the other players, they still play for each other. They rally around RJ. You see the leadership that RJ is trying to convey on his team, 21 years old. You see quickly there with the, quick, with the clipboard on the bench. So I think it's a very cohesive unit. And you, you see the energy and the dynamic that Obi brings when, when he's playing with those guys. Now, um, are they a better team? I don't see it. Not, not in the immediate future. If they, if they get rid of them by starting Obi in place of Julius, I don't necessarily think they're a better team. Um, but they will be a more fun team. they will be a team that shares the ball. You know, the ball won't be sticking there, obviously. But I think my concern is how does that impact us going forward where you have this max contract asset, a player who is at a near all-star level, and then you sell low on him, where you brought in Leon Rose to ultimately land you that star, right? Yes, they're building through the draft. They're doing the right things. They're not taking too much risk. You know, they're building through the margins, and you like all of that, but ultimately, they're trying to get that big fish. Maybe it's Zion. I don't want him. Maybe it's Donovan Mitchell down the road or someone does trading Julius and selling low where you're just left with RJ, right? You're not trying to trade RJ. How does that impact you when the trade deadline comes or the, you know, trade scenario comes and this star wants out and you're looking at other teams who can give you a better package of a guy who can quote unquote contribute right now, plus the young player, plus the picks and so on and so forth. You know, does a does a Knicks package of a Quentin Grimes, Obi Toppin, and you know five first round picks does it get you there? Plus a salary, remember the salary, mm-hmm. as opposed to trying to rehabilitate Julius and ultimately using him as that piece, as that you know framework. You know, it won't be a one for one, but as a framework 
to get you that star down the road. So I think it, that's why I think it's a, it's a tricky uh, trade to make at, at the moment. All right, we'll be right back with CP continuing our discussion about the Julius Randle situation and whether this relationship is ultimately going to be salvageable between him and the Knicks or if they're going to have to look to trade him in this offseason. But I got to remind you all that today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Of course, Built Bars are the best tasting protein bar out there. They're, they really remind me of eating a candy bar. But I don't have to deal with all the guilt associated with if I go to the, the store and pick up a Snickers bar or a Twix or something like that. Because every built Bar, despite being covered in 100% natural chocolate, despite looking like a candy bar, despite tasting like a candy bar, does not have all that fat and calories and sugar and everything else that you don't want out of candy bars. All it has is low amounts of all those things, plus a lot of protein to help you recover from your workout. Also, if you've never tried Built Puffs before, they're some of my favorites. They're like a chocolate-covered protein-infused marshmallow. I'm not exaggerating. That is really what they taste like. You can get tasty flavors like cinnamon churro, coconut marshmallow, or banana cream pie. They're all so good. They're going to be your new favorite. And as I alluded to, there's only 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 4 grams of net carbs in most Built Bars, compared to a whopping 17 grams of protein. So if you want to get some Built Bars for yourself, head to Built.com and use promo code LOCKED15, and you can get 15% off your order. Again, use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. Yeah, and I think it's a great point because that, to me, that was almost the most exciting part of Julius's season last year. It was like, oh, if RJ emerges, you have the piece that you can use as a fulcrum for a star. Like if he's, right. Even if he's not a second-team All-NBA guy going forward, if he's like a notch below that, like, that's like, I mean, it's, it's kind of like the classic, like DeMar DeRozan for Kawhi Leonard, right? You, like mm-hmm. the Spurs, as like, regardless of where Kawhi wanted to go, they needed to get back someone at least as good as DeRozan just to save face. If Utah trades Donovan Mitchell, like they have to be, they, you can't really sell Obi Top and you can't really sell Quentin Grimes to your point. You can't even necessarily sell Emmanuel quickly. And, and the whole perspective on the Knicks doing this, especially with how he's taken a step forward, like, RJ Barrett is most likely off the table in that deal. Obviously, it depends on the caliber of star. Like, of course, there, there are guys in the league you would include him for. But in all likelihood, the, the players that would be available for trade, you're not trading RJ Barrett for because it's just a lateral move at that point or, or a slightly slight positive one, but not one that's going to get you anywhere. And Randall was that luxury piece that you were like, you can move in that deal. I guess I guess my question is, CP, and, and we'll, we'll throw this at you and then we'll, we'll get into the fake trades, is and, and you, you hinted at this a little bit in your last answer do you think this is salvageable just from a, a sheer chemistry perspective? Because I know um, reading in like Jonathan Macri's newsletter today, like he he noted that he was hearing from people at, at different points that like Randall's like sort of isolated himself from the team. And just like I'm sure you talked about in your show, but like the yeah. ending of that Bulls game where like the Knicks get this pretty amazing win over this team that for a lot of the year has been the class of the Eastern Conference. And he's in the corner, like slamming the ball down and, and walking out the other way. And, and to your point, the vibe seems so good with everyone else on this team. And it's like what I keep referencing that, like they basically like have a, a lot of the same qualities as last year's team. There's just like been a couple of black clouds this year, like Randall, like Kemba, not really his fault, but just because of his injury situation that have kept them from being that. But that just feels like a little broken to me because I mean, I, I think this is what we've all been saying without always directly saying it. Like yeah. Randall's clearly not okay. Taking a backseat to RJ, right? Like that, like he's still posting up at the elbow. He, he still wants to be that guy. He's like, Hey, I was injured. It was cute that you went off, but now I'm back. And RJ's like, no, nah, I'm the, I'm the better player at this point. And like, I just, I don't see that dynamic getting better when RJ it comes in next off season. And it's probably clearly the better guy after another off season of work. 
Look, I mean, we, we've seen it throughout the NBA history, man. When you have two al- alpha dogs on your team, uh, they don't really coexist. I mean, you know, the chemistry may not be there off the court, but in some cases they're so dominant that you can win anyway. With these guys, you just don't know. And and with the emergence of R.J. Barrett, you know, could you uh, – is there a rift there? It's so hard to, to, to put, you know, a finger on whether or not that's really plaguing Julius, but – it kind of seems that way, man. And it's just so strange because you go back to all of his interviews last year, whether it was, you know, the Bleacher Report uh, uh, pen that he did or the J.J. Reddick podcast, and he spoke so glowingly of his team and his coach and wanting to deliver a championship uh, for the Knicks fans and understanding the fan expectations, you know, of, of when you play well and when you don't play well. And then this year it's just the complete opposite, man. The complete yeah. opposite. You know, I was um, during that Bulls game. It was tough because you heard the Obi topping chance. And then when he gets subbed in for Obi, it's like damn near a standing ovation. I'm like, oh, man, you know, human nature kicks in. You, you, the guy can't feel good about that, man. So I think there could be something there. As you said, Macri's reported it. Berman has reported it as well. But I think, again, this is where the coaching staff comes into play. And is Tom Thibodeau that is that guy that can really blend these personalities together? It, it was said that when they brought in Tibbs, you know, bringing in Mike Woodson, bringing in Kenny Payne, were those kind of player-friendly guys that would kind of help with the locker room chemistry. Now you're losing Kenny Payne, Julius Randle, and, and everybody said, you know, it was, it was a very somber uh, uh, event to learn that he was leaving. You lose Mike Woodson. That's, I think, another offseason priority is, you know, how do they augment that coaching staff to kind of offset Tibbs's rigidness with someone who's a bit more amicable to the players? Maybe that can help. Yeah, and it, I've just wondered offseason, too. I mean, obviously, we're talking a lot about how Julius Randle is a problem and can be a problem going forward and that sort of thing. But obviously, things have not been working with Tibbs this year either. I mean, we've been saying since pre-All-Star break, I think, that we're basically done with him at this point, at least on our show. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure that you have said it and have gotten plenty of calls on Knicks Fan TV about it as Every well. Night. Um, but I mean, basically, he seems like he's lost the team at this point. And Julius, I think, is the main one. You know, it's almost like like Julius is off the reservation at this point. You know what I mean? Like he's he's doing his own thing and Tibbs sort of just seems okay to play him, you know, 35 40 minutes regardless of his effort level and yet for another player on the team and this is what makes a player like an obi top and a sympathetic figure to fans Mm -hmm. is that you know obi is like fighting for his life you know obi's out there every single night uh, having to scratch and claw to find 15 minutes for himself as long as randall is active because tibbs you know can't play them together thanks to his you know stupid idea of what you know uh, basketball has to be or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, you know, it's not possible for them to ever share the floor together. And so then you run into this situation where, you know, Randall's not being held accountable. And so if he's going to basically be under the impression of like, Oh, well, no matter what I do, I'm going to get my playing time. Then he doesn't have to scrap for his time. If he's not scrapping and he's not playing hard, of course the fans aren't going to, you know, vibe with him. And then the fans love a guy like Obi Toppin who's going to go out there and just like, 
yeah, put it all on the line for every single minute that he's on the floor and act like he gives a crap all the time, which is just less. It, it almost just feels like it's this weird, like vicious cycle. And I don't, it, you know, you said something that uh, it just kind of made me think for a second, right? Like, cause Randall did talk about last year about all the expectations that were lumped on him in the 1920 season. And, you know, obviously he was the consolation prize for Kevin Durant right, and right. Kyrie Irving. And he was very aware of that. Um, you know, and he openly acknowledged like, I didn't come in ready enough, you know, in 2019 Mm -hmm. to 20 Mm -hmm. and I didn't do this. I didn't do that, but I got Mm -hmm. better and I put my nose to the grindstone Mm -hmm. and I came in the best shape of my life and I did this and I did that. And so like, it is just bizarre to me that things got so contentious so fast with him and the fans this year. Yeah. Considering he knew, like, it's not like the fans didn't exist his first year here. Yeah. And it's, it's easy to almost forget that that first year even happened, but it did. It was just such right. a throwaway year that it was easy to forget. But, yeah. you know, I, I, it, the whole situation is just perplexing to me. Um, but I think at this point, unfortunately, and this is where we'll get, you know, in just a second here with just doing it, running through a few mock trades at the end here to see where we're at. But like, I, you know, I think the situation has just reached a point where it's going to have to result in a trade unless the Knicks can find a way to salvage it via probably coaching staff. But considering mm-hmm. we already have seen they're giving Tibbs a vote of confidence for next year, at least to start the year, I, I can't see how that could even be solved in this offseason. Um, right. Thanks to how things are going. But so at risk of going on too much longer about just the Julius problem, we did want to talk about some of the trades too. So CP, I'll, I'll throw it to you first. Then we can just kind of go round Robin real quick before we get in mm-hmm. to some that we cooked up ahead of time here. Mm-hmm. But Ideally, if you're Leon Rose this offseason, and let's say that the reports are true, Julius Randle's coming to you and said, I want out, period. I don't care what my value is or whatever. I don't care what you can get for me, but like I want out of here. I mm-hmm. will not come back to play for the Knicks next year. What are you ideally looking to get for him in a trade? Yeah, so as I was saying, you know, I think I think a Zion trade is risky, but I do think, as I said, um, if you're going to try to trade your max player who's near all-star levels you want to try to get something of you know comparable value or better and so i would call new orleans and say hey you know uh what is it what is a, a package a framework of julius randall and maybe a couple of younger players some draft picks how does that for zion how does that play out because like i said i think the garden would love to to promote that you know that do big three <laughs> on the on the marquee as as you know the, the second coming here and, and see where that goes but if you're not able to get some of the comparable, comparable value, then, you know, I'd look to see if you can get some draft capital, uh, maybe save on on some salary there. You know, obviously his deal is, uh, what, four years, a four-year deal. So maybe you take a shorter-term contract back and, and see if you can get um, some draft capital to, to continue building through the draft. Yeah, I think, I, I think I'm, on a, I'm on a similar page. I mean, I don't know, like we – I'm trying to remember who reported it, but there was someone like who put out there, like you'd have to attach picks to Julius to move off him. And I, I don't know if I buy that. I mean, the guy again, still like a year removed from all NBA and like, maybe like the LOL Nick stuff will actually play into their favor where like, they will be like a team will be like, Oh, on our team, he's not going to be like that. Like we can, mm-hmm. we can fix this guy. Um, so I think I'm with you draft capital or look, I was down for like a Harrison Barnes type trade. Obviously that specifically isn't going to happen now that Sacramento acquired yeah. a DeMontis Sabonis, but someone in that mold, like a high level, like three and D wing, like, obviously you want Grimes to be that guy, but if he's not quite ready for that, that someone, especially like as sort of a small ball four, 
I think can help you win a year from now. But honestly, I'm, I'm good with just picks because I think part of the fundamental issue here for the Knicks, like they just have a glut of guys on the wings. And like you want Cam Reddish playing next year. You want Quentin Grimes in particular, I think, playing next year. Um, and even if it means RJ has to play at the four for stretches or Gr- or Reddish has to play at the four for stretches, like I'm okay trading Randall and like not getting a player back who will help you next season. Like I, I just, I want to see those guys get some run together a year from now. Yeah, I, I think it's key. And you mentioned Cam, and I just feel like the last few games we watched, whether it was uh, the Bulls game where obviously DeRozan and Levine are cooking in the, in the fourth quarter, you look at the Hornets game and you have guys like Miles Bridges going off. We don't have that. Um, when, when we got Fournier here, I just felt like we lost our versatility, especially defensively at the wing. Someone who could guard threes and maybe some fours in, in certain respects. Yeah. And I think Cam was that guy who I really want to see, you know, can he establish that that role? Maybe he doesn't start next year. I don't think he'll get to that level, but maybe he finishes more games. Because what we've seen, we've seen that Tibbs isn't afraid to, you know, bench Fournier in, in crunch time situations to go for more of a spark, whether it's a quickly, you know, maybe go a little bit more defense. And so I'm hoping that, you know, Cam can kind of assume that role. But if not, that's something that I would look for, whether in the draft or via trade is getting a true wing uh, that uh, that can go out there and, and play some defense for us. I think Grimes might end up being that guy. I don't know, Alex. I know you're 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 a big fan too. But. Yeah, I love Grimes. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, that might make what I'm about to share uh, like a little bit of sacrilege here. But all right, guys, that is it for this episode with CP. I know it breaks my heart as well, but don't fear. He will be back for a part two on a similar train of conversation early next week talking some fake Julius Randle trades, mostly cooked up by Alex and a little bit by me. Can the Knicks acquire a star, depending on your definition of the word, from the Detroit Pistons for Julius Randle with a little draft capital thrown in? Can they get the point guard of their dreams from last summer from the Chicago Bulls for Randle plus an asset? We will talk about all that and more next time with CP. But until then, remember to like, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts, throw us a five-star review. Certainly go check us out on YouTube if you haven't already. Even if you have, we'd really, really appreciate your continued patronage. Until next time, he's Alex. I'm Gavin. Peace out.